What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This week's episode of Screen Talk is being brought to you by Black Panther. The LA Times raves Black Panther is the cinematic event of the year. Vanity Fair calls it a political and social triumph. USA Today acclaims Black Panther is a rousing cultural moment. Winner of the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble and now nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Costume and Production Design, Score, Original Song All the Stars, performed by Kendrick Lamar and SZA, and Best Motion Picture. Check it out. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by our editor at large, Ann Thompson. And Ann, we're a week and change out of Sundance, but we're straight into the last kind of uh, trudge to the finish line of Oscar season, which uh, seems to continue to develop, even if uh, a lot of stuff has been on the table for a while here. Now, on Monday, you got to go to this Oscar nominee luncheon, which everybody always likes to, to sort of obsess over because of all the class photo type stuff. But there was some real stuff that came out of the guidance that was provided at this lunch. It sounds like from what you and other people have said that they really want to make sure that people don't talk too long at the podium this year. They say that every year. So it's the same pitch as they've always had. The difference is that this time they're really going to keep it to three hours. So, so they say that so they that say. No, they're serious. They're serious. Um, okay. I mean, the whole background of why the Academy is behaving differently uh, now than it used to. I mean, it always sort of let it run, included everybody, um, had musical numbers, you know, for everyone. I mean, it was expansive. It wasn't um, being quite so uptight. And and the real reason for that is that ABC put huge pressure on them at the end of last year, which had the lowest ratings ever um, with uh, Jimmy Kimmel for the second time. And, and they, which isn't his fault. I don't think the host has anything to do with the ratings. I think it has to do with how big the movies are, which should be a good thing this year with Black Panther and Star is Born and, and Green Book um, all in the race. Uh, it should be, um, you know, Black Klansman's a popular movie. Uh, it should be, it should be a big, a big year, uh, based on, uh, the fact that there's a rooting interest and a wide open race also. I mean, this is not one of those things where all the different, um, guilds have lined up perfectly and, uh, everybody's, knows what's going to win it there's well, i almost there. feel like it's a it could be a lost cause either way from a rating standpoint i mean just what is it that people tune in to see at the oscars it might not be the host but 
is it really Black Panther? Is Black Panther, which will probably not win in any major categories, really the lure that gets people to turn on TVs across the country? I mean, I feel like the Oscars is more insidery than a lot of us who obsess over them realize. Oh, you're so wrong. That is, uh, Eric, that's one of the most, that, that fascinates me. It, basically, what you have is a global phenomenon where all the different countries around the world are rooting for their people to win. So imagine that all the Spanish-speaking countries around the world have seen Roma because it's in all these countries anyway, and they're rooting for Roma. That's the first time that's ever happened that a foreign language uh, movie, Spanish language movie, is 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 in contention for best picture. Black Panther, one of the biggest movies ever to to be have an all black cast, you know, set in Africa, fantasy African kingdom, um, you know, incredible accomplishment, historic. There were people all over the world, including in Africa, rooting I, for I black. Agree. There's enormous rooting interest in all of these movies. No, I mean, look, I was talking to some of my Colombian relatives. Not in New York City, okay? No, I'm talking to highfalutin high art circles. Let me let me take you out of my bubble to tell you about the conversations I've been having with my relatives in Colombia, who think Roma is amazing and see a lot of parallels with people they know, and obviously the representational element is very exciting to them. I don't think they're going to watch the Oscars because of that. I'm just saying that the Do assumption of that correlation. I mean, the, I think people grow up being aware of the Oscars as a thing that's on TV, but the obsession over the Oscars, the appointment viewing of the Oscars, I'm just, I'm just leaving the door open for the possibility that maybe it's just not something that a lot of people are excited to watch the way that we are. Well, and one the, of the reasons that IndieWire spends enormous amounts of time and energy on Oscar coverage, aside from the fact that there are ads involved, <laughs> is is that, that believe it or not, it's a race. And one of the things I learned in you know journalism 101, you know, at EW or wherever I was working, was that a race is always something that people track and they care about it. And it's still the toniest, still the classiest, still the one that everybody knows about. And if it has diminished in, in its impact over the years, which has more to do, I think with another kind of divide, which has to do with um, A, that there haven't been big, big uh, movies that everybody has seen that could they could root for, for the best picture race. If everything is already predetermined, and if everybody knows what the winners are gonna be at, in advance, then it, there's less rooting against, right? Yeah. So this year, there's a lot of possibilities. Roma is a possibility, but so is, um, you know, Green Book, and and so is uh, not Black Panther. Probably, I would say it's and between, not the favorite. Not the it's, favorite. It's between those two. It's between Roma and Green Book. Um, and that itself is a fascinating cultural divide. You couldn't ask for a, a weirder kind of showdown, in a sense. And nobody, I think, a year ago would have predicted that. Maybe Roma, on some level, was thought of is highly anticipated. No, Green Book wasn't on anybody's radar. You know, until until really it dropped at TIFF in that sense. So it's been it's been a very interesting couple of months in that respect. The races of all Black Klansmen, I think, rose up more than a lot of people underestimated that one. So to see that narrative kind of gaining some traction is very interesting as well. I'd be curious to hear from you, being in the room with most of the nominees, 
you know, they, they mention everybody. And, and you, I assume that there's varying degrees of applause. Yeah. Who was the most popular person in the room? Well, there was a lot of applause because Spike Lee was mentioned early in the conversation by John Bailey. I mean, what you get is you get this pit, you pick up on this thing that the Academy is so invested in diversity, you know, that they just want to be proud of, of their accomplishments in that department. And someone like Spike Lee has praised the Academy for its diversity efforts and, and holds them, um, you know, feels that the degree to which the Academy has, has moved the needle has made it possible for so many movies like Roma, like Black Klansman, like Black Panther, like um, Barry Jenkins' movie, If Beale Street Could Talk, to all be in this, uh, Green, and, Green, and Green Book, to be in this, in this conversation this year. So it's a very diverse set of nominations. And so they put Spike, they called out, there were like 171 people out of the 212 who were nominated and they called them up one at a time to get on the risers and po at the end when they were all there they posed for the for the picture and so the first person who went up was spike lee and he got a huge round of applause and most of the celebrities naturally i mean as we all know they all get good rounds of applause beyond that i noticed that jimmy chin of free solo got uh got a lot of applause and um, I, Just I, Dimmer is co-director too. And, and uh, Chai, that's uh, really. Yeah. She went oh, up separately, but um, but his wife. But uh, the other the other one who uh, got the most applause by far, you know, there's no comparison. Was Mahershala Ali. Everybody loves him. And he's a, a, you can guy. you can notch that one on your on your ballot right now. I mean, Nobody one, has had a more awkward awkward. Uh, and he's taken the high road. He's and he's handled it. He's he's taken you know controversial positions on it. He hasn't gone along with the studio at all in terms of trying to make it nice. I mean, um, he's really he's really stood by uh, his his own. Um, uh, values. In, so it's in almost like country. he could be rewarded for surviving all of that. Even well, whatever's wrong hard. with the movie, it's not his fault. But the other thing that was very much, there were three things, there were several things that were the subject of discussion at the lunch. One was um, the whole question of the negative campaigning that's going on. And uh, I did witness uh, Alfonso Cuarón go over to Peter Farrelly. They're old friends. Peter Farrelly loved uh, I wouldn't on. have thought that those guys would have randomly met at some point in the industry over the years, but I guess it's a small it world. It happens that he was a fan of mm -hmm. that movie. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, they have an easy, you can see it just in their body language, they have an easy um, camaraderie. Um, also, uh, Alfonso, one of his great skills, as you may have noticed in, in dealing with him, and he's just one of these people with exquisite manners who knows how to talk to people. Yeah, he makes everybody feel like he's really excited to Absolutely. see them. He's a good actor. But um, but one thing is that he's a, he doesn't, um, I mean, he may demand a lot of people on his movie sets, but um, he. Uh, I don't believe that he would ever condone any kind of negative campaigning, and I understand that he doesn't, and, and that uh, there's been a lot of slinging. A lot of people, the Green Book people have been understandably upset that there's been this kind of negative campaign against them that's brought up all these old tweets and and social media things that were embarrassing to Farrelly or embarrassing to Nick Vallelonga, the uh, the writer um, who has completely vanished from the scene. The son embarrassing of that he was a freaking Islamophobe who, who right. agreed with Donald right Trump. Right wing guy, yeah, which is logical if you think about who his father 
was, you know, that he would be perhaps a conservative guy. But in any case, um, he, uh, the whole Green Book thing has just kept going. And so there's obviously somebody's fighting back. Um, and and the, the Green Book people are, you know, accusing also, there was a story in Los Angeles Magazine. And in the story, they look at the possibility that these people who used to work for Harvey Weinstein, who of course is the great negative campaigner of all time. Mm. Um, and a lot of people learned how to do that, but they're, you know, so they were saying, okay, Lisa Tayback at, you know, Netflix uh, is responsible or, you know, this woman, da Danny Weinstein yeah. over at It's Tokyo like a dog or, whistle thing. It had, there's no, in that article, there's no, no evidence. Zero evidence. And I don't buy this. I understand negative campaigning is a thing and that this was a Weinstein thing, and all these people came from there. But in the case of Green Book... How many people came about? from Weinstein? There are well, about 20 it. million of them. Also, <laughs> so look at the what. what is the negativity around Green Book. It's think pieces written by film critics like Chaos and Collins and Vanny Fair and, and the essay by Tambay Obinson that we ran. You know, it's not like somebody implanted in their heads that this movie has a magic. No, absolutely not. That is organic. Yeah. And... And and we can and there's also rumors around you know how does Spike Lee feel about Green Book you know I was looking at the clip from the DGA where Peter Farrelly is talking and the camera sort of pans over to Spike Lee and he's got a sort of solid blank expression. You can read whatever you want into a solid blank expression. Um, you know he's been very careful not to say things. I mean it's. He doesn't have to say anything. It's like obvious. He's been on a crusade for decades about the kind of, you know, misunderstanding of the black experience in America through the white gaze of American filmmaking. So this movie but he's not stupid enough to go out there yeah. and say he it. He doesn't need to say anything. You know, he has a blank expression. He's not going to be friendly or, or, you know, eagerly smiling at Peter Farrelly, okay, fine. But, you know, people are really taking that to mean that he's like throwing shade at him and, and people thought that he also, of that. People thought he was throwing shade at Bradley Cooper in the, this Hollywood Reporter interview. It was like an internet meme. And then there were other, the panels that they did where they seemed like they're pals and then he, maybe he kind of liked Star is Born. So, you know, I mean, the, that's the paradox of Spike Lee is that his reputation suggests a guy who, who can't get along with anyone, but he actually does seem to. He knows everybody. He gets along. I mean, he's, he's, uh, I mean, we'll see what he says after the Oscars. <laughs> That's Let's what see I what he hear. says at That's the Oscars. That's what I want to hear. If he gets on that stage, which could happen twice, it, it seems like there's a strong he's chance. He's probably getting adapted screenplay. Yeah, I want to know what that. Because that is such a moment right there. There is, there is a possibility for best director, you know, remote. I mean, here's the, the logic of that. The logic of that is that Roma can't win everything. And it's, it's so remarkable that Quaron is up for foreign language and cinematography and best picture and director. You know, he can't, he isn't going to necessarily win them all. And and, uh, and and I don't know if they might not decide to go ahead and give Spike Lee best director and 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 show the world, you know, that that the Academy can give the first ever black man best director. Right. Well, I mean, the, the general thing is that Cuaron is so well liked, he's got to be the front runner in that category. But, you know, he also already has one. Well, statistically, just, yeah, exactly. So statistically, having won the DGA, having won. Uh, all the things that he's won. But again, I, I did this story about about why the guilds aren't lining up. You've got, you know, uh, 
<laughs> you've got Green Book at the PGA, you've got Bohemian Rhapsody at the at SAG, you, you've got you know all these different you know things going on. And wh who what movie is Bohemian Rhapsody is very strong too. I, I haven't. I, Which I just I almost threw up a little bit hearing that. Not that I mean I just it is because I, I talk to people. I talk to people and they love this movie. They love the way it's made. I mean, people from the sound, like if you want to notch another one, go for Bohemian Rhapsody, I, you know, for sound. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And no I one- I did enjoy the end of the movie for what it was, but it's so, the movie is, I mean, it's like- Critic, Critic gave it 49 on Metacritic. It's a like, lot of people don't like this movie. Uh, who critics. Very formulaic, but- you know, people, I'm just saying, I keep having these arguments over and over again. So the other element that's going on is this question of, of, of Netflix again. And you do have people, I was up at Sundance, and I'm sure you heard some of the same stuff, because in the art house community, especially in, in the um, theatrical distributors who, who have to pick up movies at Sundance, now Netflix wasn't one of the big uh, competitors this year. It was Amazon, so this applies to both. But Amazon at least has a theatrical um, component, uh, which even though Netflix has shown Roma in theaters for over eleven weeks, it's not considered a, a theatrical uh, distributor, and that's considered a one-off, you know, for the purposes of getting getting an Oscar. But but people are angry at Netflix. But the people who are angry at Netflix are the theatrical distributors. Right, but how many business. of those people are actually in the academy? Exactly, it's the executive branch. It's it's certain members uh, at large, maybe. You know, don't yeah, vote. yeah. It's not the people. It's not the rank and file who gave Netflix fifteen nominations over over the whole thing. So, which is the same as Disney. Um, yeah, I mean, the Nef I'm just it's, it's getting a little tiresome, honestly. This notion that Netflix is somehow a charge. I mean, it's it's been a disruptor. This is like an old story. We talked about it. Last year when it this got sponsored. the first year that they're threatening to win Best Picture. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's not like they didn't give it a solid theatrical release. It did play at a lot of theaters. I mean, it. I don't know. I, I just, I'm, I'm, that, this side of the narrative, I think most people are starting to understand is not something that should get in the way of how a movie performs. In, in when the it's the entire, like, so let's go back. You have all the branches voting for for the nominations, but now you have the whole academy voting. And I agree with you that all the crafts, all, you know, all the people who are artists, the people who want they want to work for Netflix, they want to get hired. You know, it's a studio to them. It's no more. No, I mean, maybe they would prefer movies be in theaters, but reality is, all movies cannot be in theaters. So that's the. But but there's to get to the number one, to get to the win you kind of need a lot of votes. <laughs> so if there's something taking away those votes, that's a real thing. Sure. I mean, it, I, I'm not discounting the possibility. It just seems it's, it just seems like we've been through this already. We should be over this particular challenge by now. We haven't been through this already, Eric. Last year, Mudbound was, you know, four nominations. It wasn't a threat of any kind. I'm just saying that the notion of Netflix getting into this space, it, it's... They I, want it to get out. They want it to be they're gone. They're not going anywhere. They want it to be, no. What they want is for it to be an Emmy contender, a television play. I remember that's what Spielberg said. That that's A certain. lot of people feel that way. Yeah, yeah. So we've so, been talking for almost 20 minutes and we haven't even mentioned A Star is Born. Is it just, it's gone? It's, there's, that movie won't, it's just, we forgot about it. It's like. Funny, funny you should mention it. Um, I have been trying to get an interview with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> 
since the beginning when it first showed uh, in Toronto. And I, you know, I saw him there at a, at a cocktail party. I went to the opening night premiere uh, in L.A. I saw him at the um, Academy lunch. Uh, finally, I saw him at the American Cinema Tech Ball. I mean, I ta I've talked to him. He's been working. There's this weird um, thing that he's been distant or he hasn't been participating or whatever. And uh, I've decided that, that now that I've accosted him and got an interview with him um, and did a story on him, um, what I've wanted to say all along is that I didn't think that people recognized that this movie that looks like a big studio, blockbuster, glossy entertainment is actually a much more challenging, gritty kind of indie movie to pull off. Uh, $38 million isn't that much for a movie like this with all that music and 19 songs and multiple performances and, and a first time you know, actress uh, on, in a feature film and a first time director and so forth. And so um, I just uh, made a, a case for, for how misunderstood <laughs> this movie is. And then Sean Penn went and made a case for it in, in Deadline as well. In, a very, in his usual kind of bizarre quasi gonzo fashion, kind of saying that, you know, He's got a problem, which is that nobody appreciates him or takes him for granted or something well, like that. Well, there is a meme. Um, there is this idea that he's uh, too good looking and the model girlfriend and the beautiful child. And he's just so he goes on and does Elephant Man and he goes on and does this perfectly. And, you know, and um, I don't know why he should be punished for being talented. I, I do actually agree. I, I mean, there is. It's something that Army Hammer has talked about a little bit too, where it's like when you get typecast as a good-looking movie actor, it's almost like people just they, they they refuse to take you seriously, even if you play a particular role exactly the way that it's supposed to be done. And I will say, I mean, I was looking over the best actor category, which is somewhat weak this year, and I know a lot of people think Rami Malek's got him the bag, which is disgusting, but Cooper is really good in this movie. It's I think so, too. my favorite aspect. I don't love The Star is Born, but I do think that he is really captivating on screen. What he had to do was to, was to make... Um, well, first of all, he took four years of his life and turned himself into a musician. And, I mean, a lot of actors have to learn how to play the piano or, or the guitar or, or, you know, learn how to ride a horse or learn how to fence or whatever it is. That's part of the deal. But he really did turn himself into somebody who was convincing in live performance as one of the iconic pop stars of his time that everybody would, you know, selling out arenas. And, and you know, he didn't make him look like somebody else. He made him, he, he became Jackson Maine in a, in a very convincing way. And the intimacy of the romance. So he was involved in the writing. He was involved in the development as a producer, of course. And he was also involved in creating the character of Jackson Maine. But he also had to get involved with Lady Gaga and teams and teams of people in creating all those songs. So the songs are... Um, Meh. You didn't, you didn't, they were believable. They were shallow. You like shallow. Yeah, so annoying. Worst <laughs> earworm. I can't wait for everybody to forget that they were. Oh, bah humbug, Eric. Bah humbug. Um, but it, I had all my, I had my daughter and her friends over and they, all they wanted to do was sing songs, Lady Gaga songs from, from, uh, from well, the she's not, she's not gonna win either. I mean, that song will probably. She's going to win the song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do, so let's say, Christian Bale is a possibility. 
um, for Vice, which did get um, eight nominations. And I think uh, they will be uh, getting something. Um, maybe not. Maybe they go in there and they get nothing. Um, and then you have, um, I don't think Willem Dafoe is going to do it. And I, I think that uh, Malik is actually very, very strong after winning SAG. So, uh, but one of the things I wrote about was the idea that the, that the guilds aren't lining up because they haven't diversified as much as the uh, academy. Right, so there could be a surprise in this category at the end of the day, but... SAG is more diverse than the others. I think SAG is still something to pay attention to. Um, it's not going to be Panther, Black Panther won SAG. Fair. Um, yeah. That was a little confusing, but it was interesting. And then we have in the actress category, you got obviously the Glenn Close narrative that's very strong. But what's fascinating about that is just how much Olivia Coleman has, has faded. You know, she really She's did. She's shooting the crown. She's busy. She's not working mm -hmm. the... Uh, the red carpet. She's not around. She wasn't at the lunch. She's working. You know who's who's globe trotting is Yelita Aparicio. That's been fascinating to see, and she I has love been it. everywhere. She's been lovely. I mean, first of all, anyone who meets her falls in love with her because she is lovely. She's just one of those lovely people that. That's why he cast her. He cast someone who could radiate that decency and that, and shine with that kind of innate goodness. That's who she is. And it's so much fun to watch her. Did you, did you with Diego Luna at the at the Critics' Choice Awards and and uh, and she's been on late night talk shows. I mean, it's just really interesting to see. It's like uh, you know this. She she comes out of nowhere, but seems very comfortable in the spotlight. And, and actors seem to be very much appreciative of that ability. You know, knowing how difficult it is, and and I I don't know. I mean. Do you think it's completely impossible that people will latch onto that narrative even more than the Glenn Close deserves it one? Because that would be quite a moment. This one if that were, I mean, I have to assume. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to assume um, people are, are slacking me. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, I have to assume that getting the nomination was the big deal. And it is a sign, to, a sign of strength for Roma. Um, it's pretty hard to deny that after seven nominations, Glenn Close is overdue and her extraordinary speech at the Globes really put her over the top and she went on to win SAG. So she's pretty much of a lock at this point, especially with Coleman being a relatively new entrant into the, into the fray. Um, I, I believe that, that Coleman gives the best performance of the year. And I know a lot of people feel strongly about this, but, um, when you have one of these stars who has give, given us ex such extraordinary work over so many decades, and then, uh, is up for the, what might be her last shot, then they tend to give it to her. Well, I mean, it, I, if we could see the data, I would be curious to know if, if The Wife is the movie that is most likely to win when people vote for a movie they haven't actually seen. I mean, is everyone watching this or are they just like, it's Glenn Close, let's just make it happen? Hard you know? to say. Uh, like most, the, of, most of the rank and file Academy people I talk to 
are are uh, very are very good about seeing seeing the movies and not voting in the categories where they haven't seen all. I five. have I have talked to people who say that too, or that they only voted for three best picture films and things like that because they didn't have time to get through all that. I think everyone should be doing their homework here, especially in a year like this with so many different kinds of films, some of which obviously I like more than others, but it's just, you know, you should, you should, you should educate yourself. You should have an obligation to educate yourself on the kinds of possibilities here, especially when you have, you know, so many different sensibilities being represented. So well, you did your homework. You went and looked at all the live action. I always shorts. watch the shorts. Yeah. And they're, they're playing. In so which one now. do you think is going to win? Well, I my sense is that if you watch all of the live action short films, then Fauve, which is uh, this French Canadian film, would be the one that stands out. But it's actually it's a really strong set. Which of is Fauve. the most moving emotionally? Marguerite might be more emotionally involving because it's a two hander with two women, an older woman, sort of revisiting a, a relationship that she's kept in the dark for years. It's very well acted. But Fav is, is this gripping story of these two kids, just to give you a sense of the first kind of act of this 16-minute movie, who are playing around, and one of them starts sliding into some concrete. And it's just, it's a gripping moment. And the movie just literally more unnerving. Yes, from there. So that, I mean, that's the one that, I mean, I just feel like sticks with people more from a filmmaking standpoint. But it could be either one of those two. It's just, again, I mean, people got to watch the films in the category. I'd be curious to know how many people are actually making that effort. It isn't that many. It yeah. isn't that many. And, and I, I find uh, and what you get in these situations is that mostly it's the people in the foreign language branch who actually see all the foreign language entries. I mean, other people do, but it's hard to catch up with five. And then it's mostly the people in the short and animation branch. You see the shorts and the animation. That's just the way it is. So it's really a few hundred people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. There's also a film called Skin in that category, which has already been made into a feature that premiered in Toronto last fall about a, about a bunch of skinheads who and a, and a harrowing racist act, and and the second half of it is kind of the revenge that's taken on this family that I thought was a little silly in, in parts, but it, it's obviously very timely and. In other ways, so I guess that's that, that could split the difference too. But again, it, it really is this question of you know how many people are actually getting engaged with uh, with this process. So so we'll see how all that goes. And next week, we'll as we creep along to the uh, to the deadline here, we'll dig deeper into a couple other different categories. It'll be interesting to see how this conversation evolves. It feels like we're in a pretty stable place now, but like you said, it's a very unpredictable year. So. I hope you get a chance to rest up a little bit this weekend, Anne, and then next week we'll reconvene to dig a little deeper. Thanks, Eric. I'll talk to you later. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.